Yeah, I love I love traffickers, man. I have to love them. I will not diminish them and call them anything else than a human being made in the image of of the maker. That is who that person is. And in loving them, I I want to I want them to stop that activity and I want them to go to prison sometimes because that's what's best for that trafficker. I don't think I'm ever going to get sick of the new intro music. No, neither am I. That Man, intro is so sick. good. It's so good. It reminds me of what's that band Washed Out? Remember them? <laughs> I do. It's got some vibes like that. That's uh, but that's where we've been, guys. For the last three months, we've been we've been working on intro music. That's where we've been. In yeah, case you were wondering. it's taken us um, uh, three days per second of that intro. Yeah, so to get it done but I, it's done and we're here i know you've missed us but we're, we're back now guys we have an incredible guest and you seriously not kidding you right now you do not want to not be listening to us right now um this dude who we have in just a moment his name is david zock he is from a band called remedy drive fantastic band yeah known this dude for i think we figured out about seven years um i used to tour in a band as well and we would see each other on the road um, but even cooler than that, the dude is like a James Bond style undercover operative whose job is to stop, slow down, intercept, uh, sex trafficking, uh, transactions, if yeah. you will. You know, the, the lighthearted subject just, sort of just stuff. Simple, is what, easy. We're like, what we're, going we're like for. Fox News in the morning. Like we like to keep everything just fluffy AF. Uh, so here's your feel good, uh, episode. For the day. Thank you everyone for listening. Here's David Zock. You will not be disappointed. It's a long story of how I got involved because that same kind of irritation and frustration with record labels at the time that I met you is getting the same thing. Hey, what about this? Why can't we write these happy songs, these big songs that work? And I think my frustration with Daylight, it, it was a great song and they didn't, they didn't take it to where I wanted it to go. You know, it was everything they asked for. I gave it to them and it just kind of, it didn't really have the splash that we needed it to have. Which, in hindsight, I'm glad because this work came out of that angst with the record label trying to be, they were commoditizing us, multiple record labels, trying to reduce these melodies of our hearts and shrink wrapping them and, and reducing us to the lowest common denominator and not letting, not letting our, our art shine through and trying to commercialize it, which is the kind of cliche, boring story. And I said to myself, I'm a soul inside a body. I'm not a commodity. You don't own me, not my image, not my likeness, not my melody, not my brightness. You don't own me. I don't belong to you. And I'm writing these lyrics. I'm writing specifically from that point of angst. But then also as I started reading and watching what was going on with Boy Soldiers, uh, which culminated f- f- several years after the time we're talking about with Coney 2012 and that massive campaign to take down a warlord. The Invisible Children, right? Yeah. Ah, I remember that. That was huge. Yeah. I mean, the most... Viral long form YouTube video that morning. Everybody was talking about it just out of the blue. I watched that video with my daughter. She was five. She says, dad, why not God protect those boys? And you get this feeling of helplessness. And so I wrote diamonds and machetes, Kalashnikovs and eight year olds. It's time to get ready. Lost causes, broken souls. Can we break the hold of tyranny? 
It's time to break the fear in me. Tonight my heart is bleeding out of 47 bullet holes. And I thought that that song and then the other one, Commodity, I take those to the label and say, hey, let's, let's, let's put a whole album of these types of songs together. And then we go and shine a light on slavery, shine a light on injustice and celebrate people that are doing something about it. And they, they wanted nothing to do with it. And so in the middle of writing this, the A&R guy said, but hey, isn't worship singing and this social justice thing? That's a whole, totally different thing. And the marketing director said, David, I'm a whore. I need you to give me something I can sell and this is not going to sell. And so I'm frustrated at the time. And in that moment, I'm leaving the record label to do it on my own. Matt Parker from the Exodus Road flies to Nashville to meet with a bunch of bands. All his meetings canceled except for us. And he, he had heard our song all along on the radio around the time Dustin was talking about 08, 09. And it was a part of a really difficult time in Matt's life. He's going through a difficult thing and that song was meaningful to him. So that's how he knew Remedy Drive. He had no idea I'm writing an album about the kind of work he's already doing. And I said, Matt, if I'm going to be singing about this, I need to go with you. And so that's how it all started for me. I mean, there's so many more influences for that to happen. It wasn't like, it wasn't like this deciding one day. It was all these factors that led up to that conversation. It does seem though that it came together pretty perfectly though, that you, you and Matt were kind of more, more meant to meet. You were, you were already going down this path and he kind of came in at the right moment. Yeah. In a way that, uh, he describes it as a moment of convergence. I like that. Yeah. Is that a C.S. Lewis quote that you took that line from the, uh, I try to remember the exact quote. It's something like, um, you are, you don't have a soul. Exactly. You have a body. You are a soul. Yeah. Or something to that extent. Is that, is that what inspired that line where you say I'm yeah. a soul inside a body? Yeah. It was a C.S. Lewis quote. I named my son Clive. Well, I wanted to name him Clive Staples, but uh, <laughs> uh, my wife said no. So Clive Staples Lewis, when he was a kid, said I will be called Jack. And so we mm. named our kid Jack after C.S. Lewis. That's but, awesome. But yeah, I, that, that, that quote and, and it's, it's, I like it that it started with my own angst. So it didn't start from the other perspective, but it tied by the time the song was completed. It was telling the story of boy soldiers and girls being trafficked. And so what happened with that relationship with the label? Cause obviously you did put out the music to support the sex trafficking. So was that a split from the label, just a difference of opinion or, or direction or what happened there? Yeah. So those were irrecoverable differences. I mean, this is where I was going. And so there's that pushback, that same thing that started our conversation, that pushback of, no, we need this. We need this. Why can't you write this type of thing? What's wrong with you? Why don't you, why aren't, you don't even have to believe this, but you can say it even if you want to believe it. And I just couldn't take it anymore. I felt so beat up and feels, and, feels very hypocritical. <laughs> I feel like you, we should just have you back on to just talk about the music industry because we could swap stories on that. And I got some thoughts on that, but for the sake of time, mm-hmm. I don't know if we, we can, but, um, yeah, what's interesting to me, I'll just say this is my experience. And I think it's a little more limited than yours. We had one uh, album that was with a record label, but it was yeah. 22 tracks. So we had an album and an EP uh, for my time with that band. And uh, what I realized very quickly is once you were successful with a record, I thought that that meant you were able, like, if you could prove yourself and everyone, everyone agreed in the room. Oh yeah, you did, yeah. you did a good job. You made us money. You are successful, whatever that then you could prove yourself. And then on the next record, you could, have a little bit more freedom, do whatever you wanted. What really exact, happened, exact opposite, I bet. Exactly. What, what really happened is 
they said, well, we're, we're funding this and we already know that your last record sound did really well. So could you just write that again? Yeah. And, uh, and so we, I, I personally realized, and that's, you know, one of many reasons why I'm not in that world right now, um, that I just was never going to be in a position unless I just removed myself from their money. I was never going to be in a situation where I could write about what I wanted when I wanted to and have it at least get any, you know, go out to anybody or be, uh, you know, promoted in any way. Right. Yeah. I think it just comes from that place of fear. It's them throwing darts at a board and once a dart sticks, they're, they hold on to it. Yeah. They hold on to it as hard as they can. So that, yeah. that worked. Keep, keep doing that and we'll, we'll bleed it dry until it doesn't work anymore. <laughs> and it, it's, it is, it's really frustrating because I could use the backing. You know what I mean? I could use the support at radio. There's millions of people hearing our music at that time. And I wish I could, I could take this to that level and I'm still dreaming. Um, I'm still dreaming that I can do that, but in the meantime, I'm going to do this work and I'm going to continue to rally people that have been paying attention and, and we're still able to reach from those days. Cause there's a lot of people that have, are still around from those days and there's a lot of new people. I want to rally our audience, our community around, around this idea that ordinary people can partake in freedom. And not only that, it's actually written into our DNA. It's part of the fabric of who we are. It's woven into our, into the very fabric of my soul this longing to participate in movements of freedom and justice and mercy and compassion. It's what we're made for. It's what we're designed for. That's awesome. I love that. What is, I mean, so we're talking about this work. What work are you doing? And I mean, let's just start at the beginning. What is human trafficking? And is that different from sex trafficking or is that just another word for it? Is it it all encompassing in that, in that sense? Human trafficking. There's 40 million people facing some sort of, of slavery in 2020 on my watch. And then you guys just watch 40 million it during the times of the transatlantic slave trade in our country, there's about 10 million people uh, impacted by slavery. So it was a, a time when slavery is kind was, of recognized historically as being a big issue. Yeah. Right? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. In the days of the, of my heroines and my heroes, Harriet Tubman and, mm. and, and William Wilberforce, who said you can choose to look the other way, but you can never again say you did not know. And Frederick, mm-hmm. Frederick Douglass, we named our album the same thing. He named his newspaper, the North Star. So today there's more people impacted and it's, and it's, it's fed by one of the ma- major contributing factors to that is all these, all these people that are displaced from their homes uh, in exile, running from violence, running from the cocaine that meets the demand here in the States and the the havoc that our demand for cocaine and some of our foreign policy has had on Guatemala and Honduras uh, and, and Colombia and Brazil. And, and then with Venezuela, they have their own, their own thing. And in Burma, there's people trying to, to flee out of Burma because the Burmese government's killing all the hill, hill tribes. And so these, these people run across borders, they get in boats and in the, just like in Syria coming across on, on boats, trying to get, free the lands on fire behind them and, and they're in this desperate situation. People don't understand you get in a boat, just hoping that this boat captain's a good guy, even though he's extorting you and paying you way more than he should to bring you to, 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 to safety, hoping that he's not actually a trafficker and not just a smuggler, which there's a difference. And a lot of times they end up and we help find evidence of this. They end up being slave ships and these refugees get on a slave ship running from freedom out of Burma or Myanmar and they think they're going to Malaysia and they end up in Thailand forced into slavery and their sons are forced to go work on a shrimp boat that never comes back, a, a fishing boat that just stays out at sea nonstop 
uh, and they send small vessels to collect the fish. And these guys are out there for years at a time or parents or couples that are forced to, to take our shrimp apart, you know, in shrimping facilities in an environment where it is regulated, but they can't regulate, uh, some of these smaller places. And so our, our shrimp is tainted. Our fish is tainted. Our Colton that's in my cell phone and your cell phone. It's a, it's a mineral similar to a blood diamond from the movie blood diamond with, with child soldiers. It's a blood mineral, our cocoa, our copper, all of this is impacted by some sort of slavery, some sort of forced labor or exploitation, uh, debt bondage. There's brick kiln factories run by the mafia. So, so a dad takes a, takes a loan when his crops fail in monsoon season and he has to pay back that loan by working in their brick kiln factory. And when he realizes that his cost of living while working in that mafia run factory is higher than what he's making and the interest is too high, then they're able to suck in more family members into that trade. And so I'm, I'm kind of painting, trying to paint a broad picture while I'm hitting different parts of the world. That's Pakistan or Cambodia where that's happening. And then at the same time, a specific type, we've talked about several different types of labor trafficking, but a specific category of trafficking under the umbrella of human trafficking is sex trafficking. And that is someone that's being sold for sex by someone else. And if there's fraud, if there's force, if there's coercion, or if the person being sold is under the age of 18, that's what sex trafficking is. That That is what the Exodus Road exists to go find. And we go and we find evidence of it, actionable evidence so that we can partner with local authorities or regional authorities to use that evidence to make raids that will result in dismantling the criminal networks and the syndicates that we're, that we're spying on. So, and talk to me about that spy work. That's first of all, yeah, damn. Uh, <laughs> um, there's, yeah. And there's, we could talk about each one of those different, you know, kind of unpack those different types of slavery you were just talking about. Um, for your part in the work that you're doing, you said, or we've, I've seen online that you, I think you call yourself an operative. Yeah. Um, and you, so what's the work that you do? You go in specifically, uh, pretending to be someone looking for an underage prostitute. Exactly. And, and, and we're always careful because these, you can't, you can't be a prostitute. If you're a child, there's no such thing as a child prostitute. There's the prostitution of children. There's this exploitation, but it's hard to find evidence of because the girls and the boys that are being sold are being sold oftentimes in commercial sex areas where people from all over the world go on sex tourism vacations to the red light districts of Southeast Asia or in, in Brazil or Latin America where they know they can get away with it. And they also know that they're, exists a network there to meet the demand for this kind of tourism. So we go in, sometimes it's a dance club and there's girls on stage that are dancing and other girls that are sitting around, uh, trying to get customers to buy them a drink because they think that some of that money from the drink that's bought for them will pay off some of their debt. And some of them are 20, 25. And, and some of those girls that are over 18 are trafficked or were trafficked and have just now ended up in the sex trade. But there's so many times, almost every club I go into, there is a girl that's like 15. Okay, so you were just talking about sort of the scene. Yeah. Um, and you were talking about boys and girls who either are being bought and sold that are underage or just are yeah. still, maybe they don't know another way to get by. And so they just sort yeah. of stayed in the, in the trade. Can I ask you this? 
what's the percentage of like male to female of these uh these victims well it's hard for me to know internationally in the sex trade who's being sold i i'm i'm per, from what i see it seems like it's 70% female and 30% but i don't work i i haven't worked in some of the areas that are known for selling boys a lot of my friends are there a lot both here in from the states and and my friends that do the majority of the work that are frontline operatives with the Exodus Road undercover operatives in the countries that we operate in okay so you're in there um you are attempting to uh pretend to you know solicit sex yeah uh, in these places these dance clubs you know whatever um obvious question how do you prevent yourself from just being caught for the crime yourself? <laughs> is that ever, is that an yeah. issue? Do they, does the cop just show up and just cuff you? That's a great question. And no one's ever asked that before, which I'm, there's, there's, well, in, in Southeast Asia, we're working with law enforcement. So they know what region we're in. Um, but the clubs are so protected. Uh, I was in a club in, in January of this year and, uh, this big guy that from, you know, some, I think Welsh or somewhere like that. He was, I don't even know where Welsh is. It's part of the, the, the part of Wales, Wales. <laughs> so, um, and he's, he, I was like, Hey, is this your place? It's a nice place. And I'm making conversation with him. I knew he owned it and I wanted to get some intelligence from him. And I'm learning about his place. He, he had poured some, he had made some caramel vodka that he's proud of. And he pours me a shot. We have it together. I have a smoke. I'm talking with him. And he's like, yeah, we have, uh, we have, I said, how are you able to get away with this? Like, aren't there people watching? He's like, oh, we, we, everybody pays, everybody pays the police. Mm. And he's like, if you were been here earlier tonight, there's three of them sitting right over here and he motions up to, up to, uh, my right up on the top row. And so that, that, that to me has never really been an issue also because I have, you know, I've never gone through with the crime. You know, I'm only pretending to be there for the crime. And honestly, it's not a crime for most people that end up in those places because, uh, the girls are being sold as if they are 19 or 20 and, and, and that age is different. So a lot of, a lot of girls, you'll be in a club and you'll ask girls their age and you're careful about it. And sometimes they'll all say 19, 19, or I'll say 20, 20, 20, 20, and they're just taught. And some of them are scared to death, especially if you're a refugee, you don't have legal status in the country you're in. You know that. You know that not only has your trafficker told you, you'll get arrested if you come clean, but they know because they've seen, yeah, you'll get arrested, you'll get imprisoned for being illegally in the country. And that's the same here in the States too, in many ways. There's, there's not the protection you would think that we'd have for people that are running from violence and running from conflict that are coerced into these situations. So we're careful. We, we keep cameras running. We, we have, we go in in groups of two and, um, there's a lot of precautions we take including our relationship with law enforcement that we trust. Can you talk a little bit about that without obviously giving away the, the trade secrets, but kind of the, the surveillance and stuff that you use, like how do you, how are you guys sneaking cameras and stuff there? I'm, I'm always curious about that sort of stuff. Like what, how, how much can you, can you, can you tell us um, <laughs> without, without giving away trade secrets? Well, I mean, look at this camera here. It's, um, you know, look at how small it is. It's on my phone, right? Yeah. And I think that little thing, whoops, Turn my light on. I think that little thing's a camera on the phone too. So ca camera technology is, is great. And if we're creative and 
I love, I love going back eight years ago, Matt Parker, who found the organization, he, he didn't know what other people did. So he just designed his own wow. uh, ways of sneaking, sneaking a camera in. And there's so many creative ways. And I wish I could tell you all of them. I really do. But then, oh, no, I, get, but this, then I get in is trouble. This consumer grade stuff though. I mean, is this something I could buy at a spy shop or is it military grade stuff? Well, it's uh, the, the smaller the camera, the more expensive obviously it is and the better the technology. But and then some cameras, um, don't do good under low light situations. Mm. Sometimes I'll go back to back. I'll be in a club that has like lights and everything. And then later on that night, I might be in a back alley or in a well-lit hotel. And I, we have different, sometimes, sometimes on this last trip, I ran with three, three different cameras at a time. Oh, backups wow. of backups. Some of them, they overheat if you got them going too long. Uh, mm. Some of them. Wait, you had three cameras on you simultaneously that were going? Yeah. Yeah. Or, or I'll put, oh, wow. I'll, put them down in different places so that we get different angles. And sometimes I got one that I know is great for audio and another one. And it's, it's cool because I use all this stuff that I use for the band. You like the, you get that, that moment where the, where you can, maybe it's on a cheers. Like I always do cheers. Cause I know mm-hmm. that when I'm going back to edit the video together, it's nice to have a cheers, a moment where the sound and the, uh, and the visual locks up. Yeah. I'm trying, I wish the viewers at home knew what I was saying. I was like doing like a thing where they snap. What are those things called, man? A sound sync moment. Is that what sound. that is? That's, that was what's, okay. Well, there, there's the clapper that's used on like film and television, but yeah, it's yeah. a, it's a sound synced moment that you can, you can sync everything to. Yeah. Brian's our film expert resident. I knew, yeah. know, I knew you know what that's called. The checkerboard thing that claps from the Looney Tune. It's the slate, the slate. They know yeah. now. Gentlemen, they, yeah. they now they know what we're talking about. And I appreciate they, the people came here just for that knowledge. Yeah, and we lost a few people. Else. <laughs> we got them back. Okay, good. Okay, so you're you're just planting cameras around, um, and then what what do you do with that information that that content? You just like you said, you just pass that off to someone that you trust in law enforcement. So the the goal is to get evidence that's actionable evidence that proves there's something illegal going on here. This is a child that's being sold. This is a woman on the street in Southeast Asia from Africa that had her passport stolen. Um, this is a woman in a hotel room in Latin America or in Southeast Asia that's being sold. And then there's proof that she's being hurt or that she's being drugged. We have to find that kind of evidence to convince law enforcement this is a case that you're going to win on. And maybe it's not just one girl that might be 15 or 16, but there's five of them here. And it's hard in countries that we work in where prostitution is legal because it's hard to prove trafficking's happening with the mechanism of legalized prostitution. In India, my friend Sudhir, that the Remedy Drive, my band's community, helped buy a vehicle for and some spy gear. Sudhir just goes in and kicks butt, man. He's, he's, he, he, he moves, he gets tips. Um, he has so many ways of finding evidence and having people help, help tip him off that something's going on. And because prostitution's illegal there, they're going to move on anything. And hopefully by busting up a prostitution ring and not hopefully consistently, he's helping to rescue victims of, of, of cross border trafficking or, or children being sold for like $2 an hour at, 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 12 year olds virginity being, being sold at a premium. And then they have her almost virginity second, third, fourth time being sold at another lower premium. And um, so I'm a little, sorry, keep going. No, go ahead. Um, I was a little curious cause you had brought up when you were talking to that guy in the club, how 
people, you know, people are getting paid and all these, you know, different people profit from it. I'm assuming you guys would run into issues with when you, once you have the evidence and everything, trying to give that to local law enforcement, do you guys run into those issues with like corruption and different people getting paid off and things, things not happening or things not coming to fruition because of that? It's really frustrating and dangerous to have the evidence that we need. I've been there several times. We got evidence. There's no way that anybody would look at this film that we put together and not say that's a child in a brothel being sold to strangers that are three times her weight and three times her age. And you take that and they're like, no, we're not convinced. No, we're not convinced. Hmm. So we have another partnership in that same country with another organization. And hmm. we they know now that we're going to go and we're going to hand that same evidence that is undeniable to somebody else. And, and we have people that are great at, I would be the wrong guy to handle that conversation, but we have people that are great with knowing the, that's why the Exodus road is so cool that we work with mostly nationals. Like our, most of our staff is nationals from the countries we're in. So they know the, they know the custom. They know the, it's not just some gringo coming in and pushing his way around like a cowboy. We don't need any more cowboys around the world, you know, being the heroes. These are the heroines and the heroes are these, are these people that are doing this work all the time. And sometimes they, they need a gringo like me to come in and speak Spanglish and, and just be a dumb American tourist that has some money to throw around to get the traffickers to come out of the woodwork. So if, so sometimes in Latin America, we're going out commissioned by the police to go into a certain place. So they're already with us. And these are great people. Regardless of all the corruption, the people I'm working with, I've cried with them over the plight of, of some of the cases that they've been working on. I've watched their wow. kids' soccer games on their phones. I've cheered for the local soccer team as, as some of the, some of the team was from another town and soccer is a big deal that it, everything shuts down when, when a soccer, when a football game is happening in town. Um, but there's always that, there's always that fear of somebody tipping off a raid and it happens so often. We'll be in route to a location. And somebody will tip off a raid. So how do you get creative in that scenario? We've had, uh, we've, we've had to collect all everybody's cell phones ahead of the time. So we don't announce where we're going. And even then, as soon as, as soon as the heat hits that area, there's so many spotters. There's motorcycle taxi guys that are being on the payroll of the mafia that are spotting, looking out for guys like us. And you see the energy change. I was in. I was in when like 40, <laughs> I was in a brothel once when like 40 police came busting in with like big cameras and lights. And it was just a big show. There, all, everybody went, all the girls went and got IDs and a lot of fake IDs showed them and, and nobody, nothing happened. But the rest of that night, the whole, uh, that whole like several block region was just filled with the buzz that the police had come in and tried to take down this place. Uh, and sometimes it's military police. Sometimes, because we're worried about local police, we'll go around and do a raid with a with a national branch of the military or national anti human trafficking police. And all you that's were talking about, about uh, missionary cowboys. Uh, hmm. Talk to me about that. I mean, I think we all, uh, you know, it's 2020. I think a lot of us kind of understand uh, the kind of like the wrong way to go about uh, kind of the Christopher Columbus of missionaries, you know, going in there and just sort of pushing what we believe to be, you know, our society, which is the best and sort of like pushing that on them or maybe going in, solving a problem and then for, forgetting to replace that with a solution, you know, removing the problem and then just leaving. Yeah. 
and then other other people who are maybe even worse come in and just fill that gap again anyway um what would be i mean describe to us like the wrong way to do this what are you guys doing that's different from that that sets you guys apart um and like why shouldn't like i go just do that myself <laughs> like what's what's going on behind the scenes that uh that prevents these kids from example getting uh getting rescued and then going back to it i mean is there somewhere that they go what's what's that look like for a kid so let's say dustin and brian you guys are independently wealthy you go over with me on one trip you're gonna be like man this is really hard the the way you guys are doing it takes a long time and there's a big failure rate let's just go and negotiate with the bar owner hey man how much would how much would it would it cost to buy all these girls tonight to buy their freedom which seems like what you want to do and just buy all their buy pay off all their debts if they're in debt bondage and you know drop a million dollars you've just funded the mafia right you've mm-hmm. just funded that cartel that's creating that level of misery and you've made it so that now they don't have any more product and they're going to go have to replace that product with another batch of girls that they're going to go out into the countryside if it's if it's if in if it's in southeast asia they're going to go up in the mountains and they're going to convince farmers, poor farmers that don't have an education, that they're an agency that takes their kids down to the major cities to get them work in the hospitality industry so that they can send money home. And you're going to actually get paid by those poor farmers. They're going to pay you to traffic their kids. Wow. Because, and we've just contributed to that because we've funded the traffickers that way, right? That's one example of the wrong way to do it. And with trafficking, the fight against trafficking is, is depending on who you ask, comes down into three main categories and there's some cuts, there's some subcategories in there. There's prevention, there is intervention, which is what the Exodus Road is doing, and then there's aftercare. And aftercare is where the road to freedom continues after there's been somebody that comes in and intervenes. And with the Exodus Road, we believe that our purpose is specifically to facilitate that need for somebody coming in or coming in and, and breaking up these systems, dismantling these corrupt systems, shining a light on it, making it more dangerous for tourists to go over to engage in this, making it more expensive, making it uh, less attractive to traffickers. And maybe they branch out and sell drugs or something instead uh, because they know the heat's coming. They know somebody's watching and it's a thorn in their side. And maybe they're a really established Russian mob or Uzbeki mob or Nigerian cartel or, or Latin American cartel. Maybe they have just unlimited funding. Well, it's just going to start bugging them that they know somebody's watching and that it's going to be more expensive. The bribes they are going to have to make because it, it keeps on coming up and getting pushed forward. And the international community is looking in. So in order to make systemic change in a region, we have to combine rescues with justice, with arrests. And it sends a message that somebody's watching. It sends a message that we're going to prosecute. And we need to make sure our evidence is ironclad so that when they go to court, they're going to get the book thrown at them because it's going to be clear from what we've gathered. And that takes patience. It's not fast food charity. You know, it's, it's long, tedious hours by our teams around the world, setting up these investigations. And then sometimes they bring us in at the end and we get to trigger raids. We get to help get the last pieces of evidence necessary that the district attorney or the, or the 
prosecuting attorney thinks he or she needs to make sure this case is going to stick. And sometimes you're waiting, knowing that this guy is low level that I'm spying on this guy. I'm having a drink with, he might be low level in this organization uh, so that we can tap his phone so that we can uh, find out, follow him, follow, find out who he's working with, with all this amazing cyber forensic technology and different tools we have and that we work on with the government to find out how, how big this cartel goes and then see how high we can get up when we make the actual bust. So that answers most of your question, except for the part for aftercare. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the, how do you do it wrong? You don't deal with the justice piece. That's how you do it wrong, right? It's just all about, I've I heard this and you might've heard this before and I don't know who said it, but compassion is so important. We need people that have that merciful, compassionate heart. And what they're doing is they're, they're seeing somebody that's drowning and they pull them out of the water and they take care of them. Right. But the justice piece is like, Hey, why are all these people in this river drowning? You go up, you find the bridge where the guy's throwing them all off the bridge and you deal with that guy. That's the justice piece. And that's what the Exodus road is doing. And so the aftercare piece is we have social workers like in India, it is Sudhir, our, our, the head, the heads of the team there. His sister is going to be one of the first people these girls as they're being rescued meets. And in some of the footage, you see her just hugging them, telling them, you're not in trouble. You're, we're going to take wow. care of you. <clears throat> and she follows her, the case and she pushes, she pushes that case to make sure these girls end up in an aftercare facility that has qualified people that know how to handle the trauma that's related to this level of abuse, especially at such a young age, art therapy, sometimes in the States, like I know there's a question, equestrian therapy, music therapy, uh, qualified counselors and, and, um, people that specialize in helping repair what's broken, but also in reintegration. How do we get this girl repatriated back to Uganda that we found on the streets of Bangkok, Thailand? Uh, who should, and I there? mean, man, that therapy piece is really huge too. And I know, first of all, equestrian therapy sounds dope, and I I would like to try that. Um, That'd be awesome. <laughs> I'm assuming they just give you a horse and and that's it. Um, the and, and I mean, I have been, uh, you know, I was sexually abused growing up as well, and just knowing in America, in a situation that you know I was never bought and sold, I was never mm. never had my life threatened, but. Yeah still to this day have episodes of feeling like my life is under threat just from just being a child and being and having someone else's well-being in my hands and just not being able to do anything and and the obviously not even close to the same scenario as what you're describing um that that's just so huge to me and that's why i ask that is you know what are um and i was an excellent answer i was i assumed you had an excellent answer um can i can i add on to that yeah, yeah please. please. Please do. Um, two years ago, I took my girl that was, so that five-year-old that said, why not God protect those boys? When we watched the documentary, she was now 10 and my other girl was seven and my son was 12. And we, we went and we looked at some of the streets that I worked on. So they were, we flew into Bangkok at midnight went, and it felt like noon. And our purpose of going there was to kind of celebrate and shine a light on some of the organizations that the band partners with that do aftercare. And some of those organizations overlap with the Exodus Road and the partnerships because the Exodus Road helps fund aftercare as well. We don't, we don't do it. That's not our specialty. Like I said, but, but, um, all my band's t-shirts are made by organizations that are helping rehabilitate these girls. So the, Brad. the, the screen printing operation is a temporary employment, a transitional employment 
along with bracelets and elephant neck pillows, um, all that type of. And you've been doing that for a while because I remember seeing that on uh, your merch table way, way, I mean, at least 10 years ago. That'd be six years ago only. Six years ago. Seven, all right. Seven years ago. Uh, and so that's a way that I can make it a little more real and tangible. And so we got to see one of the questions I ask girls when I'm undercover, whether it's on my phone with Google Translate or in broken Spanish. And dream, dream is a hard word in Spanish. I think either you guys speak Spanish. No. Un, un, po, un poco. Yeah, poco. very, very poco. In Espanol, tienes sueño. Oh, so yeah, I see. Like I said, I'm, I'm falling apart already. What'd you say? Oh, it's like, I, what, what dream do you like? Yeah, sueño, you, isn't yeah, sueño what are, like what are your, a fall asleep dream? Isn't that what that means? Yeah. And I, I would say like, what, what, that's a question I always ask. And I learned that I'm saying it wrong because uh, to me, it means, do you have dreams? What, what's your dream? If you could do anything else, what would you dream of doing? But, but I, it's, it's more like, what do you do when you're dreaming? I think it's like what, or do you like sleeping and having dreams? It actually, it's just what you say with like, are you tired? <laughs> okay. oh, great. So sometimes when I oh. go to Latin America, I grew up my bigote, which is Spanish for mustache, but a captain of the police was undercover with me one night and it was late. It was like two in the morning. He came up to me and he's like, David, tienes sueño? I was like, weird question, but see, sí. yeah. Uh, last night, anoche tengo un sueño que yo corta mi bigota. So I said, last night I had a dream that I, that I shaved my mustache. And he asked me if I was tired. <laughs> and I responded by saying, yeah, I had a dream that I shaved my mustache. And he looked at me funny. And then the next day I realized I've been saying it wrong this whole time. But I do ask girls, like, what if you could do anything other than this, what would your dream be? And a lot of girls, especially down there, you're, you're hanging out with 15-year-old girls that have a kid back home. And they're just struggling to survive. And so often I'm told, I wish I could go to school to become a cook. And the most beautiful thing ever, I was in Cambodia with my family and Agape International Mission in Cambodia has a state of the art culinary arts facility for girls that have been rescued, that they get this amazing training in the culinary arts. And they, they had, they had made, I did some work with Agape. I was in, I was in Cambodia for three months and I did, did some work with them there. Phnom Penh? And, uh, yeah, they have some operations in Siam Reap. That's where I was based. But every now and then I go down Phnom Penh. But yeah, I know Agape. So we got in a in a car and went from Phnom Penh and drove all the way to Siem Reap. And that's where I, halfway there, they were selling tarantulas for lunch. And I had like five full-on tarantulas on my chest and my kids did too. And she said, no poison, no poison. So I trusted her and I'm okay. Great. There's some interesting things on the on the road I've, I saw around there. You can You yeah. can get a little bit of everything. Man, I, I have a ton of questions about everything you just said. Um, I'm going to try to pick one, but um, I'm going to rewind just a little bit because you're talking about being a thorn in the side of uh, a lot of different people. The mafia, um, maybe just whatever crime syndicate maybe is, has their hands in, in this kind of work. And then, of course, the, the middlemen themselves, kind of yeah. anyone who's involved in uh, in selling humans against their will. Um, can you actually stop this? I stand on the edge of an abyss and all I got is my microphone and I'm okay with that. I got a microphone. I got the truth. I got my music. I'm going to sing at 110 decibels and I got a candle in the darkness. That's it. But I still believe after everything I've seen that if you shine your candle in the darkness, the darkness can't comprehend it. I, I honestly believe that. And I don't know what that means. It's naive and, and dumb, 
and 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 stupid to believe that we are going to end slavery in my lifetime or in my daughter's lifetime as she picks up the mantle where I leave off. But at the same time, there's been a great evil. There's been a great darkness on this planet for all of written history. And who knows how long before we have stories of a brother crushing his brother's skull with a stone, people enslaving people and blaming it on God or gods, people owning other people. The oldest uh, job recorded is prostitution, right? Like that's been going on forever. Who, who am I to think that I can even make a dent in that? But at the same time, there's all there's always been a core of people that have this audacious belief that standing against it matters for some reason. And I can't put it into words. I can make a melody about it, but I can't put it into words on why it matters that in 2020, when there's more people enslaved than ever before in history, that it matters that a barely funded small NGO, non-government organization called the Exodus Road, continues to fund rescues and celebrates 1500 rescues so far like that matters and i do love what matt parker says i got nothing other than like the kid that had his lunch on a hillside with 10,000 hungry people and he thought that his five loaves of bread and two fish matter and somehow when they're lift up and they're blessed in some miraculous way by the maker who seems absent in all of this that somehow it makes sense and it makes purpose. And I know this, that someday slavery will be but a mere memory in the next life. And they will write songs, they will look back, and they will remember the day when the righteous rose up out of indifference. And if I can just meet Moses, they called Harriet Tubman Moses, you know, meet her in another life. And uh, and Frederick Douglass, who said, the soul that is within me, no man can degrade. It was, it was that in the C.S. Lewis line that I melted together for commodity. And be part of that and have my family be counted in that number. And, and it was, it was a, it was a, it was a Russian philosopher that said human history is not this history of this evil, this darkness that crushes humanity. It's the, it's the evil of a, it's the history of a, of this great darkness that has tried over and over again to crush what is, what is human in all of us. And if after all these thousands of years, it hasn't succeeded yet, who's to think that this darkness will ever succeed? You know what I mean? That's the best. Yeah, I can say. No, yeah, no, that's, that's great. It's yeah, that's incredible. Perspective is important. Yeah, and I think the difference, like you're talking about, is, like you said, what was it, fifteen hundred? Fifteen hundred, baby. Think about like even if it was just one. Think about like that one saved person. What that person's gonna go do? And there's no that, way to know the, yeah. the impact that that one. Like, what's fifteen hundred multiplied by you know however many it it is? So I think that's the the candle in the darkness sort of thing that it it spreads from that. Like and you'll it, never, you'll never truly know the impact, but there is an impact is the, is that's the difference. And there's 800 traffickers that faced the justice system. And how many, how many girls were they going to traffic? Have we not got them? That's huge. And it's, just, and it's not one. We're not going for one. We're going for one at a time because we do this. And then we do the next best thing we can do. Maintaining the belief and the ethos of the organization that we will do no harm in the process. How long have you been doing this? Seven years. Seven years. Okay. Here's a question for you. So seven years ago, that would have been 2013, um, right? 2013. Yeah. That would have been 2013, I think, was uh, was George Zimmerman, right? That that whole case with Trayvon Martin, it was right around there. Um, yeah. 
before that, the sort of like modern uh, awareness of social justice, let's say, as a whole was not what it is now. Yeah. In your, because I mean, it sounds like you were doing this work, you know, before the sort of the culture that we live in now. Like, what, how has that conversation changed from when you started to now uh, in terms of, you know, what we as, you know, I myself, you know, a, you know, a perfectly comfortable American white dude uh, who really isn't impressed in any way, but, you know, probably has some stuff to give, but isn't sure what to do. You know, the average person, the ordinary person, like you were saying, um, how how has that changed? Did, do, is it harder now? Is it easier now? Well, 2013 is late to the game. It is, and it's it's with a a, a degree of sorrow that I didn't start earlier. But I was told I couldn't by myself mainly. I got kids, and maybe in another life, if I didn't have a band and we didn't have to play so many concerts just to break even, maybe I could do what some of these guys that I'm reading about could do. Maybe I could be like Amy Carmichael before anybody was talking about trafficking. Amy Carmichael was dyeing her skin with coffee, going into Hindu temples and rescuing six-year-olds from forced ritual prostitution. Wow. And I was told about her when I was young. But finally, I it just came to a head. And for me, one of the most powerful things that pushed me in this direction was hearing over and over again the last speech that Martin Luther King Jr. gave before he was shot. And he... And to put it in perspective, we're talking about this in 2020. They gave him so much grief about the violence and the looting that happened at his demonstrations. As much as he tried to keep it under control, the frustration that was building up and that had continued to build up for decades and decades of inaction just would spill over. And he said, the riots are the language of the unheard. And he said, don't though, don't let's do this peacefully. And in Memphis a week before, so late March, he does a rally and it, it gets, it gets, there's fires, there's looting. He comes back a week later to Memphis and, and on the 3rd of April, he gives this speech. And at the end of the speech, he says, he says, now is the time for us to develop a kind of dangerous unselfishness. And the way he said that, it just touched something inside of me. So it just grabbed me and shook me and rattled me to my core. And then he said, he said, like anybody, I want to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm just here to do God's will. And God's allowed me to go up to the mountaintop. And I've, I've been up to the mountaintop. I've seen the promised land. And I might not get there with you, but we as a people will, 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 will get to the promised land. Might not have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. And then he turns around and he hugs this guy. And then he goes to sleep that night and they kill him the next day. What a, what a way to live. And I'm 41. I've outlived him by two years now. And I waited too long. And then as I joined this thing, so I, ca I can't be judgmental because I waited too long. I admit that. But as I joined this thing, I realized there's so much pushback against us doing the right thing in many areas. Fighting slavery being one of them. Welcoming and being hospitable to people fleeing violence, much of which is caused by our culture and our society. Uh, that's another one. Uh, working hard and consistently to, to, to make our society a more equitable on racial lines. That's another discussion that needs to be had. And we all see the backlash to trying to tell people, Hey, slavery is a, a real thing. Let's fight it. Right. Oh, you can't fix it. So why try? Hey, refugees need a place to stay, but they'll steal our jobs. There's always a reason not to do the right thing, not to do what our heart already knows. And somebody comes in and convinces our mind, uh, to, 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 to lie to our heart. 
and try to convince their heart that our heart's lying to us. So that's hard for me to fight against. I, 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 I get distracted by it, to be honest with you. And it's, it weighs heavy on me every day because I see what we could do and I have to be content with what we are doing. And at the same time, trying to use the band to push people and say, we can do more. You can do more. You're made for this, this work. Maybe it's not going to look like my work. Maybe it will. Maybe you're going to be helping in aftercare. Maybe you will go undercover with me. Maybe you'll help prevent trafficking or you'll work in another arena, another specific area in the arena of freedom, justice, mercy, and compassion. But there's a work that you have to do that I can't do because your fingerprints are your own. No one else will ever have your voice. No one else will ever have your sphere of influence. No one will ever have your podcast. Only you guys have this podcast. What if you invest the currency of your podcast or your microphone or your camera lens like the guys from Invisible Children? What if you use that currency that is yours and yours alone? What if you spend it on behalf of the poor and the oppressed and the powerless and use that privilege and that platform that you have, like you mentioned, Dustin? What if you figure out how to spend it um, and invest it in somebody else? And I, I think, I think there's a change. Obviously right now for every step forward, there's always big steps back. And I feel like we're in a big step back moment as a, as a society, as a culture. But at the same time, there's this, this movement, this divine movement, a people group in our country. Since you mentioned Trayvon, a people group in our country that has faced six, you know, four or five hundred years of oppression, uh, being told that their skin color, um, makes them less valuable and and that colonizers can come in and steal all the minerals out of their land, can take them over oceans and force them into slave labor, can cross oceans and steal their land since you mentioned Columbus and build an economy on the back of free labor, build an economy on the back of slave labor on stolen land and then abuse and torture and terrorize people after slavery becomes illegal. And then finally just say, well, it's all, it's all even. We're all on even footing. There's something really busted and it's not broken. It was designed this way. There was something designed this way. And for, for, uh, for the designer of multicolored skin to hear that Black Lives Matter chanted night after night after night after 400 years of societies, uh, saying that they don't matter, you know, of our society specifically, of American culture saying that Black Lives don't matter for this long. To hear it, it's got to be a sweet savor, man. It's got to be beautiful. You're talking about God. In the in the ears of the maker, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and so we talked about this a little bit. Um, it's come up a few times. You know, I was raised Christian. I, yeah. I think you were as well. Was that your upbringing? Was Christian? Yeah, whatever that means. <laughs> right. And see, that's and that's what we want to talk yeah. about. So, I mean, there is uh, there's a context for that word that I think is difficult for a lot of people. Um there is, well, I'll say this, one of my favorite quotes that I think is spoken to me the most about my relationship with Christianity offends a lot of Christians when I say it, but, uh, the church is a whore, but she's my mother. Oh, that's a rough quote. <laughs> it's a wow. very difficult quote to process. And I've been doing it for years. Um, and for me in the context of man, you, you know, what is your relationship with someone or with a group of people that is doing both damage and healing, both good and bad? Hmm. Um, you know, and you could, uh, I think most Christians argue that, oh, well, the good is all coming from God or the scripture and the bad is all coming from humans, right? Hmm. That would be like kind of the blanket argument against that. So for me, that relationship has always been tumultuous and I can 
I, I've been in, you talk about context, you know, I've spent time in prison. When I was in prison, if anyone came up to me and said, are you a Christian? Yes. No explanation, no caveats. Yes. Yes, I am. You'll, you can find me at the service on Sunday. I'll be there, Bible in hand, singing the songs. Um, if outside of prison, you know, a friend of mine approaches me who I know to be openly gay and says, are you one of those Christians? Not the same answer. Hmm. Uh, because of the context of what they know about people who say they're Christians. It's not enough for me to just speak for myself. I have to speak in the context of every other Christian and what we as a collective are saying to the world with our actions, with our words, all these different things that, you know, Christians as a whole being uh, sort of the, the, the perception of Christians, I think right now is uh, extreme right resistant to um, anti-racism. They prefer yeah. to stay out of the conversation. These are things that people think about Christians. Not just um, prefer to stay out of the conversation aggressively against, against having the conversation, but also deny its existence even. Yeah. Or they, or they will throw on the lens of needing to, Oh, let's pray about it. Or, you know, I believe in God and God will get us through this sort of thing. Or, Hey, this is just a heart issue and only God can fix the heart. So yeah. Or it's a sin issue. Like, Hey, this is a big one is I hear is like, Oh, this is a, you know, a root of sin. This is all sin. We need to, you know, give it back to God because. And here's, here's my answer for that one. That one's easy. Yeah. The sin's called apathy, buddy. <laughs> no. And you have the privilege of not having to care because your kids aren't the ones that are being uh, disproportionately singled out. And a lot of times hurt and called names. I'm dealing with it right now, literally in my family right now, yesterday at the high school in our town, they're dealing with uh, some racist stuff that was written down and it's torn the football team apart. And then on a, on a clash of the clans app that my son's on, there was some of the worst language you could ever see in the kid. And my son called him out on it. He's like, what is this? Change this. And somebody's like, come on, bro. It's just, a, you know, it's just a joke. And he had to leave that app. And, it, and it, you know, like people don't recognize they, they, I saw a quote today and I don't, I won't say who it's from, but he said essentially that, that racism's racism's dead in America. It's just on life support by politicians that want to use it to their advantage. That is such baloney. There is nothing true about that statement. I mean, there's nothing true about that statement. And, and for people that are critical of the current civil, civil rights movement, which is so many of us because they're like, well, I, I support the phrase, but not the organization, or I sort support the phrase, obviously, but not the movement. Hey, man, there would not be a need for the Black Lives Matters movement if the church, these Christians that gather in buildings every week, wasn't so segregated. It's the most segregated hour of the week. And if, if there was a continuation of the vision of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. led on the front lines by a unified coalition of black and white pastors that would have maintained and kept those ex those muscles exercising, whatever that is, and, and kept that discussion going, uh, then there wouldn't be a need for another reckoning, you know? So in the absence of, of, uh, people that go to church on Sunday taking up the mantle of Dr. King, there's a need for a reckoning, a real need for a reckoning in this country. If, 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 if nothing else is clear, we've got, like you said, apath apathetic to, to all of it and just assumed that the issue is going to take care of itself and not that we need to have an actual part in it. And an incredible, an incredible, amazing misinformation campaign, just like in Dr. King's day, they were able to, 
say, oh, he preaches peace, peaceful gatherings, but look at all the violence. And um, here, here, here's this quote's not as hard as your quote, man, but this is Frederick Douglass. Um, he says, I love the pure, peaceable, impartial Christianity of Christ. I therefore hate the corrupt, slaveholding, woman-whipping, cradle-plundering, partial and hypocritical Christianity of this land. Frederick wow. Douglass. Oh, here he goes on and says, that's still a pretty hard quote. That's, that's a hard truth right there. And obviously there's been progress, but, and here, here's what I would leave you with some encouragement, hopefully. And sometimes I just, I like a chance to say this because I'm saying it to myself. Remember, Dr. King said the moral arc of the universe is long, but it bends towards justice. I love that quote. And so I'm going to put my 165 pounds. I'm going to pull down that. Everything with everything I can, I'm going to bend it as much as I can because I'm impatient. I want to see it happen now. I want to I think see. A lot, I think a lot of people are impatient now. Yeah. yeah. And so you understand when you read letter from a Birmingham jail by, by Martin Luther King Jr., you understand his irritation, his frustration, his angst with the people of his time that says, Hey, the problem with racism is you guys are talking about it too much. Just quit talking about it. It'll go away. There's plenty of people saying that back then, just like they're saying it now. There's plenty of clergy members that sat out. And, and, uh, and had the luxury of being unaffected by the issues that it presents and the, in a, the, the, the lack of equal lending, the redlining, the gerrymandering, the, the violence against, uh, black people in their own community. I, I heard from a, from a guy who was a youth pastor and he said, look at, look at our church, man. We're right in the middle of this very needy neighborhood that was primarily a black neighborhood. And he said, we, um, we have so much to offer this community. Why is our youth group 100% white? And we're in the middle of this neighborhood. All these, all these church people come and they use, they use this building that's in the middle of this community and then, and then they, they leave and the building's beautiful and the community's in shambles. And the pastor said, man, you're, you're young, you're naive. I don't think you realize how much work those people are. Wow. And if, that, and if oh, that's, wow. that if was... that, that's a straight up quote. I had him repeat it twice to me. I was like, man, did he really say that? He's like, yeah, he said exactly those words. How much work those people are. That's rough, man. And I think, I mean, you're talking about compassion. And I think the thing that upsets me the most, you know, I speak a lot to Christians directly because uh, I like to speak to people groups that I'm a part of. Yeah, uh, I think I have maybe a bit more influence than speaking to someone who doesn't have my experience or I don't know, or I don't share faith or skin color or what anything with. Um, the thing that upsets me is that you'll see they understand the need for apathy, they or for empathy rather. Um, and I imagine if they're if you're talking about and describing work like what you do, um, yeah. almost every Christian, perhaps to a fault, agrees that human trafficking and sex slavery should be ended, and would probably applaud the work that you do. I'm sure you could yeah. give us some exceptions to that, but largely, um, and those same people will sort of kowtow or belittle anti-racist efforts or other social justice justice causes, even though we're talking about the same thing here. We're talking about slavery, yeah. which is what you do, which is what the, what other people groups experience that are hand. And we're also talking about aftercare. What are the effects after slavery that are still pushing people into poverty, into these lifestyles where they're still oppressed, but in a different way or by a different name? Yeah. And it, it, to me, it's the same cause. Yeah. It, it's people being oppressed. It's, yeah, it's the same thing. And 
something that right before you said it, Dustin, it clicked with me. You know, to be anti-racist is to is to demand some sort of reparation. It really is. And in aftercare, there is reparation that's being provided by the private sector because it's mainly coming in from and and some of it's public sector. Um, but even even just in the church alone, I I listen to Truth's Table podcast, which I heard Lecrae on Truth's Table podcast, yeah. which when I met him a couple summers ago, uh, with I I got to hang out with him in Propaganda, the rapper. Yeah. And so I I said uh, I heard you on Truth's Table podcast with my kids, and it was. Cause it's a podcast for black women by black women. Mm. And he goes, you, you go deep. (laughs) 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 And, uh, but I heard on that podcast, uh, there was one specifically on reparations and some of them were, I mean, cause it's so complicated because we didn't do the right thing when we had a chance. And then it was more complicated and then we didn't do the right thing then. And we did that for a hundred years. We kept on kicking the can down the road and Mm. failed to, and then when we kind of tried to, after the civil rights movement, so much resentment from the white community over having to share some of the wealth and share some of the opportunity and give away a little bit of that privilege. And this, the backlash to that was, um, I mean, we all see it. And then we're, then, then we're born into the, the after effects of that and the resentment from the, the generation that's in their sixties and seventies towards things like affirmative action and, and these attempts by a government to come in once, once again, when the government comes in, it's, it's because the church has failed to do its job. So for church building people that at, on one hand, uh, don't, don't take care of their immediate communities and don't give proportion because 95 to 98% of all tithe money to churches goes into the building, the pastor salary, the, the overpriced sound system that I play on. Okay, so when I play, I well, yeah, I, I understand. Play, no. I, so we're we're part of this, so it's okay. I'm not. It needs to change, though. We're all part of it, but it needs to change. And there's so there's there's the crumbs from the table that are left over, like uh, that. The I think his name was Lazarus at his, at his table, right? He just pushed the crumbs off, and that's mm. who we are right now. There's no way around it. All those parables spoken of by Jesus Christ from Nazareth represent our subculture. Like, like we are, we are the other guy that we think we're not in this. We're the guy that prays in the street. We just had a hundred thousand people go and pray a partisan prayer rally in Washington, DC, right? You know, a hundred thousand people showed up for it. And this real public display of like, pray, pray, pray. Frederick Douglass said, I prayed for 20 years, but I never got an answer. So I started praying with my feet. (laughs) So I want to see some more action, man. Man. And the thing you brought it up perfectly, but the ability that, the people like to use the word, uh, mental gymnastics, the ability for people to flip specifically parables and even just Bible stories so that you're always the good guy. Hmm. Uh, when that may or may not be the case, we're not asking the question. You know, I, I use the example, um, that I think is most pertinent right now of, you know, I think the average Christian, when they read about the Jews in the old Testament, they they consider themselves a Jew. They, they empathize with the Jews. They say, Oh, I too am God's chosen person. I too am going through trials and need to trust him. And if I do, he'll give me these miracles. And it's always the Jews. Um, I think we resemble a lot more something closer to the Egyptians or later the Romans, where we are a culture built on the back of slaves who doesn't want to give up that culture because it will mean crumbling their society. And, you know, like the, 
which one really are we? And are we asking those sorts of questions? You know, are we Pharaoh or are we Moses? I think of it too in the story of like the good Samaritan. I think a lot of us would like to think that we're the Samaritan that would stop on the side of the road and not be the, the other people that kind of just saw the person and just kind of kept on walking. But and in history, I think we're, we're showing that we're, we're not always and more often not the, the good Samaritan in that, that sort of situation. But we'd like to think we are most where times. Were, where were the other two guys going? They were going to their worship service and a stoop down. Their ceremonial purity would have been impacted by stooping down and getting that guy's blood on him. And I met a man named Matt Parker that is not the guys that walk by. He gets down and he gets that dirt and blood on him. And then what, what, what the Good Samaritan do? He put the man on the donkey and sent and he paid for his, his restoration. He paid for it and then he, and he moved on. So he didn't have to be there. So I'm not telling you we have to be there the whole time, but he, he not only put his life at risk, Maybe that guy laying in that dish is only pretending to be hurt. Maybe that, maybe that family. Maybe he's going to buy drugs. C.S. Lewis said, um, you know, I asked myself, if I give, if I give a couple dollars to that guy, uh, he might spend it on alcohol. C.S. Lewis says, well, if I keep that, I for sure will spend it on alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. Uh, That's great. But what you're saying, what you're saying, like, we're reading scripture from the cultural location of Pharaoh, of Nebuchadnezzar, of Belteshazzar, of Nero, of Caesar. That's the cultural location that we're reading scripture of, but it was written almost entirely by slaves and refugees and people under the oppressive thumb of a beastly empire from the front to back, starting, like I said before, with Cain, introducing that violence that envious violence that there's not enough to go around and that hoarding of resources. That's, that's a consistent theme throughout scripture of this world superpowers that hoard the resources to protect their own. And the sin of Sodom and her sister Gomorrah was that she was fat. She was arrogant. They were overfed. They didn't, they had no care or concern about the cause of the poor in their midst. And for those that want to call me a heretic right now, that's the only time ever in scripture it mentions it. And it's in Ezekiel. And, and I, I, Dustin, since you've always already made fun of me for being so, so uh, passionate about my own songs, let me bring this. <laughs> we weren't recording when that happened though. So you're fine. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, like pox Romana at the edge of the sword or with toxic tears to flaunt law and order. Like Babylon of old, it's the same beast. Maybe Pax Americana is a fake piece. Freedom, I can hear her prayer. She sings softly in the midnight air from the slave quarters at Monticello or on the caged border. Look what we fell for. A whispered melody on a child's lips, detained in the hull of a cargo ship from a Hebrew child under the scepter of Ramesses. Uh, that's all I, got, I remember from, 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 from memory. It's a new song I'm working on. That's awesome. That's, but I, I love that you're the theme of what you're doing artistically is not vaguely about the work that you're doing or even, you know, can be really interpreted any other way. It's, it's very obviously, you know, this is what we're here to talk about and, and spread awareness for. And to be fair, I, I, um, I, I've always loved Switchfoot. I don't know about you guys. It's one of my favorite bands. And I've told John this when I met him, like for me, C.S. Lewis, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and John Foreman are the three guys I've always wanted to be able to meet and Bono. But I've met John 
and I was talking to him about this because he's, he said, you gotta, you gotta be careful with your bedside manner. This is heavy stuff to just introduce. People are like paying money to come to a show and then suddenly you're, so I'm working on, on this next album. It's going to be a, hopefully a little bit more accessible. And, um, and I mean, that was pretty direct what I just said, but hopefully it yeah. flows in an artistic way where you don't have to just get beat up every time you listen to our music. I don't want to be that, you know, <laughs> I don't want it to be the sort of thing where you're just beat up and left bummed out. I want to leave people hopeful because the cores of that. It's a little easier to digest. I, it needs to be. Yeah. So I have one more thing that I really want to, while I have you that I want to talk about. Um, and then after this, we can talk about video games or uh, shoes. Okay. Um, which are the two things that keep me waking up every morning. Um, well, so there's two types of, if you think about just sex work, you could put that yeah. into two different categories. You could have the category that you mainly deal in, which is, um, not consensual. Yeah. You could say, right. So either that's somebody who was told one thing and they, you know, were trapped and had no choice but to do something for someone else, or they maybe used to be that kid and now they're older, but they've been lied to and they don't know the difference and they can't, there's no way they could make a living doing anything else in their mind. Um, there's also another segment of sex workers who, you know, in today's civil rights era that we're in, um, they are just consenting adults who said, I'm going to choose to make my money in this way and no one's making me do it. And I'm going to do that thing. And I think I'm interested to hear your take because you work so closely with, you know, in this industry. I think that there's a lot of victim blaming from at least Western Christianity and people who call those Christians probably all around. Um, looking at people who are maybe they're cam girls or maybe they're just out there just doing the adult thing um, and putting the blame on them or, or crying witch or whatever on them uh, versus maybe the, you know, the people who are really out there committing something that we all can agree is a crime. There's, there's probably plenty of debate on whether or not sex work where all parties are consenting. Yeah. There's a huge difference. Prostitution is not trafficking and sex work is going to continue happening. Even if, even if trafficking goes away. But like I said earlier to identify evidence of trafficking is more difficult in the environment where prostitution is legal. And I do really like the Nordic model where Sweden has redefined the act of prostitution as an act of exploitation of women and children. But at the same time, they decriminalized it too. And so that gives a woman the power to make her own decisions and to be free from being exploited and sold and taken advantage of by somebody else. And, and also in the States, what makes it really difficult where, where women get trapped is they know that if they come forward, they're really coming forward to turn themselves in as a criminal in America. Right. Right. And so that's very nuanced. I don't want somebody to say David Zock says this about sex work. And here's because, because I'm not sure exactly how I would do it if I was in charge when it comes to the legal side of things, but I would do it with the intent at every step. How do I protect these women where our culture is like, how do we protect the Johns? What are the two biggest trafficking cases that have come across down the docket recently? One was Robert Kraft. He's out mm. enjoying football games, right? That was a cut and dry inter international sex trafficking ring that he was going and participating in. And he's free, man. It's obvious that it was, it was sex trafficking. 
And so our system set up to protect the rich and the powerful at the expense of the poor and powerless. And so there's people fighting in that system. I, I was on a, a call with these wonderful ladies in California that help represent women that have been rescued and have come out of prostitution or, or sex work. Or, I mean, if you're a drug dealer and you have women to sell, the best way to, to keep yourself insulated from getting caught doing a crime is to have the women you're selling in a prostitution also sell your drugs for you. So these women are committing multiple crimes under the, under the, the threat of force by these guys that are trafficking them. So not only do we need their records expunged, but we need it to be as if they'd never even committed that crime because then they're going back into a system that they have this, you know, big scarlet letter on their chest coming out of, coming out of being trafficked, being victimized. And so there are some encouraging things too. Like, I spend a lot of time talking to ICE agents because sometimes that the that department, I think it's there's several departments that have been included in that. They uh, are ones that are advocating for victims of trafficking. So there's a V card that, that victims can get. But we just need more of that. We need it to be really clear and really loud that you're not going to get in trouble for coming forward if you if you're being coerced. But a lot of times I'm rambling. A lot of times women don't even know they've been coerced. Right. But no one ever wakes up and says, I want to go and be sold by someone who makes the decisions of where I go, tells me who's I, when I, when I can and can't have my phone, how much money I get to keep, how much money I don't get to keep. Nobody wakes up and wants to do that. So in that sense, I'm 100% against whatever that is. Right. But I, but I can't speak into the other thing, which is just someone that, you know, especially with like fans only recently and, uh, like people that are need money and, and are able to make it this way. I'm not someone that wants to take that away, but there's such a fine line in every single area. There's such a fine line of, of is this, is this fraud? Is this force? Is this coercion? Is she underage? And it's complicated and we need more conversations about it. We need people that have empathy in places of power that can help make these decisions. When you've made some really good points too about, um, you know, again, talking about just Christianity, right? It's easy, I think, for most people to say a sin is a sin. The Bible is black and white. It's obvious what is good in the eyes of God and what's bad in the eyes of God. And when you kind of blanket, uh, you make blanket statements, you generalize, uh, it's really easy to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And in this case, you know, you have, I think, a lot of Christians who just say, if it's if it involves sex and not marriage, it should be outlawed. Or, you know, or you have just whatever that extreme might be, you know, and then you end up, I, I imagine losing a lot of, uh, a lot of support from people who say, well, no, actually that's kind of what I do for a living. And I, I am not beholden to anyone and it was my choice. And, you know, for, for whatever reason for me, it's something that I want to experience that is good for me or whatever. It's my choice. Um, so you just lose those people. Um, and I just think there's, there's room for nuance there. I'm not saying that necessarily that I'm advocating for, uh, I don't even know what you would call that peer to peer porn. I'm not sure. Um, but it's just, it's an interesting thing. And I think, um, there's a lot of viral videos out right now. There's also a lot of people I think that, and Brian actually brought this up to me yesterday who are using things like, uh, sex trafficking as a response to other forms of social justice that are out there. Or they may say, you know, I, you know, why are we talking about, you know, people, the color of someone's skin when children are being bought and sold? We shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't focus on that thing. We should focus on this other thing that, you know, the media doesn't care about kids. They only care about 
Black Lives Matter or whatever. That's man. I'm glad you you asked that because that <clears throat> I am pretty close to being a pacifist, but man, when when I hear those kind of things, I want to punch somebody sometimes. Like, why do you have to talk that way? And it's like you're shouting it to everybody that has ever known you. You're shouting these really insensitive, hurtful things. Why should my cause not overlap your cause? And why can't we see that 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 any sort of movement towards a more equitable and just system, a just society, that is going to make make the the people that are lifted up by better policy and by, by a better society, especially on the lines of racial inequality, which is exist around the world in different ways and in America in a unique way. And that's going to help the cause, man. It's there. These things are working together. And for me, I have, I have a trio of things that I'm extra passionate about, you know, and caring about refugees, caring about justice as it pertains to race in America and caring about trafficking, those things are so intertwined around the world. Why do I travel all the way to Cambodia and I see on the end caps of all the beauty salons and the malls skin whitening cream? It's because the impact of colonizers has lasted for hundreds of years. That, you know what I mean? It's true. The impact of bringing white su- supremacy and exporting it all over the planet. I have a picture of myself leaning against a statue of a conquistador in Latin America, sitting next to a 14 year old girl being sold for sex in that town square I was in. And that conquistador, they, 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 they put, um, like butter on it or something to make it slick so that the people can't take it down. But those images of these people that conquered people, you know, and, uh, took their idea of what civilization should be and stole the cultures of, of the native people that inhabited those lands before they arrived. It's all over the planet. And so these issues overlap each other and repenting, turning from them and going in a different way and being not just passive. You're either, you're not just either racist or not racist. There's the category you keep on bringing up Dustin, which is anti-racism is a big thing. You know, then I, I was joking because I went to, I flew somewhere recently and I, packed a book that my sister-in-law gave me called um becoming an (laughs) anti-racist and my wife's like are you really going to read that i was like no i just want it for street cred in the airport (laughs) (laughs) and it's hard and i mean it's hard to try to change minds and i'm frustrated sometimes because i wish i could get people to to just imagine being in the shoes of somebody that's been like you just said frisked a few times or once my refugee friend that ran from literally they were they were on one side of a town in Congo and thank God that the army showed up on the South side and they ran North slept under banana leaves during the day and ran at night, avoiding landmines, avoiding getting macheted. And they end up here and they've been here for a year and he gets pulled over by a state trooper that rips his entire trunk out in the back of his car, rips all the, all the pieces and broke plastic pieces that hold that stuff together, made him sit on the ground in the rain He's already been through hell and that's what he gets when he comes to America because his skin is black. He's, he's, he's su- suspected to be a drug dealer. I work with police from America all the time. I work with border agents that are beautiful human beings that are doing their job great. Um, and I work with people that are frustrated. I work with people in law enforcement that are frustrated that the system's not, not, um, working the way it could. And I, w- I will not join any camp that 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 wants to disparage an entire group of people 
based on the actions of the words, but I, I will still advocate for change in systems too. Right. And that's a fine line. It's hard. It's nuanced. Like all these discussions, we need to have discussions so that people don't put me in one camp or another camp. I will not think about myself in those terms. I'm not on a side, man. I'm on the side of the human being that's in front of me. And that happens to be refugees and my black brothers and sisters on a regular basis. And it happens to be slaves. And I don't have to form a partisan opinion about any of those things. And I think a lot of people right now on, especially on social media, generally speaking, um, it's very, very fashionable right now for a couple different uh, specific topics to just uh, virtue signal. Sex trafficking or specifically pedophiles, you always will say, oh, well, you know, you hear these dudes who claim to follow the pacifist, you know, trail of Christ and then we'll say something like, you know, I will cut the carotid artery of any pedophile that I am in the room with and watch them bleed out in front of their whole family and and high five God on the way out. Like they're, they're using this sort of language that is violent and in their head they're thinking, this makes me a great person to have this sort of hate. But nothing's getting done. They're not doing the work you're doing uh, to actually end or change anything. Um, and so, you know, they're just out here just basically blowing smoke making themselves feel good pounding the chest and talking about violence when when really it's a really really odd thing that's not talked about you know it's a why why are some people attracted in that way and what how do we how do we how do we deal with it as a society how 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 do we and it is really frustrating to see people just spouting off about being violent against somebody that you know i know someone that that helps with therapy for pedophiles I know him. I know that he loves these people that he's trying to help out of this. And some of them have been caught. Some of them haven't, haven't been offenders, right? And they don't want to be that way and they want help and they get, they're getting help, but they still hate the way they are. And, and it raises so many questions because even in talking about it, the way they were designed, designed, no, I don't know the way they ended up. I don't know the way they, 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 progressed because of they gave into a certain thing. I don't know how that works, but it's not helping the conversation by talking about being violent against them. Yeah. I love, I love traffickers, man. I have to love them. I will not diminish them and call them anything else than a human being made in the image of, of the maker. That is who that person is. And in loving them, I, I want to, I want them to stop that activity and I want them to go to prison sometimes because that's what's best for that trafficker. And the, the discussion about pedophilia on social media, especially seems to paint this partisan picture of, of, you know, a few Hollywood elites and, and uh, people on the left. And where in reality, the only person I've ever seen that actually advocates for lowering the age of consent is a lawyer that defended Jeff Epstein, helped get him off the hook, working with Acosta in Florida in the, in the early two thousands. His name is Alan Dershowitz. And Alan Dershowitz says that we should lower the age of consent and he's doubled down on it. And when Acosta got hired into the current administration's labor department, he wanted to slash the human trafficking budget by 80%. And Acosta resigned when Epstein got arrested the second time because it became clear that he gave Epstein a sweetheart deal in Florida so that Epstein was able to go back and continue to do his deeds of evil. And Ken Starr and Alan Dershowitz got Acosta off the hook or excuse me, got Epstein off the hook. Uh, Dershowitz is accused of partaking, you know, of, of raping some of the girls with Epstein. And that 
like that's real. That sort of network exists, but not in the way that it's being portrayed in these, these awful extreme distractions and, and, um, uh, exaggerated instances of what actually is going on. What actually is going on isn't as, you know, uh, spectacular as they make it sound in the main. There's probably exceptions. You know, there's the, the taken movie is an exceptional story of trafficking. It's not like that usually. It's not that cut and dry. It's not so obvious. It's not, it's not a kidnapping. It's not some van that you see pictures of on your, on your social media feed that has a, a an outer lock on it. That outer lock is to keep the guy's tools in there because he's a carpenter, right? <laughs> you know, that they're not driving around in vans kidnapping kids. That's not what's going on. It's usually a family member or a camp director or a pastor or a priest or a school teacher. That's usually who's doing it. And it's not as, it's not as exciting as some of these social media posts make it seem, but we fight it anyway. You mean, you mean to tell me Democrats aren't kidnapping kids and eating them to, to live longer? And if that's happening, you're, you know what I mean? And the Queen of England, I guess, is in on that and Oprah and Tom Hanks. If that's happening, even if it is happening, let's, let's, that's not the norm. There's 40 million people enslaved. And so that's a, a pretty small network when you take in the whole picture. There's 300,000 or so people impacted by human trafficking. That's labor trafficking, domestic, domestic labor in the United States, which is a small percentage of the trafficking that exists around the world. Uh, so, so it's hard to talk about it because I want people, there's a lot of people that are coming in because they're hearing about trafficking for, for the first time. And I, 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 I want to challenge you if you're hearing about it for the first time to be educated. Find out what it really is, uh, apart from a couple of these new hashtags that came out and find an organization like the Exodus Road that's doing this kind of work that's combating it. And that's not to say there's some, not some weird stuff going on, man. It's not to say there's not some weird things. And I mean, Brian started to kind of ask you this, but I, I do want to know from your perspective, I mean, how high up do you think this goes? And do you think that these stories of you know, these secret societies or these, you know, you know, satanic rituals or things like that. Are they helpful? Is there any truth to them in your experience? Well, I uh, think that these stories, even if they're true, are still a distraction that's weakening the perception in the public sphere of trafficking. So the misinformation campaign, it could be fed by like the Jeff Epstein network is a network that exists from what I understand it to, to blackmail politicians and, and celebrities and powerful people so that, so that they can do whoever's bidding when the time comes. That's what it seems like it is, which that's different than what you're talking about, like the pizza gate or the pedo gate or the Hollywood scandal, which these things, um, give ordinary people that aren't paying attention just another excuse to dismiss and lump in all of trafficking with these ex, ex, extreme and sensational examples of it, right? You know what I mean? Probably also an excuse for inaction, right? Because how can I, as one person, fight the political system? And I've even had family members say, because I was in D.C. in January, like, what what are you really trying to do? Like, Because we were lobbying to try to get money to help with the Safe House Project for aftercare in the United States. And so I was, it was, it was pretty cool to go into all these offices of all these Congress women and men and, and senators and hand them some legislation ideas. But he's like, but they're all in on it. Right. I'm like, man, what are you reading? Why? Please don't read that stuff. Like these, there's so many good and decent and amazing human beings in, in, 
in the public sector working working in politics to try to make lives better with that are really trying to do so and i met him man and i i i got to shake hands with a lot of them and and see him face to face and then there's a lot of them that are that are crummy you know and are and are have ulterior motives and have been corrupted as power corrupts but i'm trying to be hopeful through all this and i want anybody hearing this to be hopeful and remember and go back to what i said earlier is even if it seems insurmountable this small candle ha- ha- matters I don't know why, but I know it does. How can we support what you're doing right now? Well, start by texting Remedy to 51555 if you want to get updates on your phone whenever a rescue is made. So you'll get a text. But you'll also get a chance when you do that, you'll get a screen that says um, if you want to pitch in $40 a month, whether it's a family or a, or a whole group or a, you know, a, a, a poker group, you know, pitching in and coming up with $40, $40 a month that funds some of my friends, the team members of the Exodus Road overseas, it, it'll it cover one, the, roughly the cost of one night of in, investigation. So that's a great way to help monetarily. I wrote on remedydrive.com slash action. I wrote just a bunch of ideas that people had because I feel helpless when people ask me the question you just ha- asked me. Just get creative. A girl that ran a 5K in stiletto high heels, raised all sorts of funds. Jeez. All sorts of awareness and sent it over to the Exodus Road. Uh, a guy carried her across the finish line. Her feet were bleeding. Uh, a girl came up to me at a concert and says, my family does what you're doing. We, we, she's a little girl, like five. We, we hunt wolves and we rescue princesses. Wow. So Jeez. I don't know quite what they're doing. I've, I, a girl in Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're, they're hunting wolves and saving princesses. <laughs> yeah. Clearly a board game or video game that they play on Friday night. <laughs> But just thinking that, that to, to the, to the extent that she knows, she knows, uh, a girl in Minnesota and her mom canned hot peppers and made hot pepper jam, which seems like it would be gross, but it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. They sold all that jam and gave it the excess road. And then there is a, it's not nuns, but there's something like nuns, the sisters of the, um, sisters of the, I'm sorry to all my Catholic friends. It starts with a P, but they're like the equivalent of nuns in this particular, um, part of the Catholic faith, they pray for my band every day. And I did a presentation for them when we were on that campus. And that was one of the most awkward things I've ever done. They asked like hard pointed questions right at me about like specifics. I was like, Oh no, sorry. Sorry, sister, but okay, here's what we do. (laughs) So I, I, I like it that no matter what walk of life you're from, where you're at in life, there's a way to get involved. Uh, So I would just say, you know, you don't have a rock band. I have a rock band, but I don't have a podcast. You have a podcast. You're shining a lot on slavery with a podcast. What do you already love doing? Figure out a way to do it in the direction of freedom, in the direction of mercy and justice. And it gives it that much more purpose and meaning. And acquainting yourself with this sorrow and coming close to it is going to, it's going to impact you in a way you never dreamed possible. There will be a sadness that stays with you, but there will be a joy that you didn't realize that you could have as you put your life at risk for somebody else. There's really something to that, that I really truly believe in. I also think it's a, it's just a great depression remedy to just acquaint yourself with someone else's sorrow and help them out of it. And then one day waking up and realizing that you live like a King and uh, you know, you're just not looking at the same wall every day, you know, just struggling to get out of bed because somebody else needs you. 
uh, you know, that, that for me is, it keeps me sane. And the way you described it is more of a practical way because that is true. I know it to be true that it's also true from just a mechanical way in the way we're designed and the way we're built that, cause I went to my, um, my therapist after the first trip and I was like, man, I feel like I have less to offer my daughters, my wife, my son. And he said to me, he's like, what they call Jesus Christ. They said he was a man of sorrows who was acquainted with grief. So you don't have less, you're more close to the original design. And I really truly believe that taking on someone else's sorrow and pain is a necessary ingredient to true fulfillment and true, um, purpose. Wow. Well, I have a couple of ideas that I want to shoot uh, by you yeah. off the record. Um, but we, you know, we, anybody that comes on our show, you know, we don't, we, we don't take lightly who we have on the show. Um, it's only people that we really believe in as people and as, you know, the work that they're doing. No one comes on here talking about, you know, skateboarding. Would you um, have Tony Hawk on? And, um, I would, but I would want to talk about his charity work. Where were you? Where was everyone, you know, in the room when he landed that 900, uh, you know, on the vert in competition? Because that for me was the one of the most, it's a big deal. I don't, I'm about to fangirl, so I'm going to stop on that. Why did it take so long to get Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2 remastered? That's what I want. That's to know. a great, and I've been playing that nonstop. So, but yeah, no, we have some ideas and we, what I'm saying is I would love to just be able to help fund what you're doing because I, I believe in it. You know, and we've only got yeah. so much money, but we've got a, you know, a pretty good sized community with a huge heart and, yeah. uh, you know, that loves being able to put their money where their mouth is. So, um, I'm going to circle back around to you on that. Well, I'm thankful that you even consider, cause a big part of the work is, is telling the story and we we did that. So I, I, I like the idea of continuing in it. Absolutely. Right on, man. Anything else you want to, you want to say or, you know, how can, how can people get connected to you, the band, the cause online? RemedyDrive.com slash David Zock. Zock like Bach. Um, uh, TheExodusRoad.com. There's an amazing new video they have called Ordinary. Brian, you keep on saying that word. Justice is in the hands of the ordinary is the, the phrase that drew me in to the Exodus Road. And to see the story of Matt and Laura Parker starting this organization, um, it's a great 20-minute video that, will move your, move you to your core. And I think the reason why we cry when we hear other people's stories is because we see ourselves in these stories and it'll move you. It'll really move you and, and convince, convince you that the voice in your head or the voice from your mom or, or whoever's telling you, you can't make a difference. It'll convince you that those voices are, are not informed. Look, uh, thank you so much for your time. Thanks guys. Yeah, dude, seriously. That's awesome. It's no Alex Jones on Rogan, but it's a, <laughs> oh, we do what we can. Can you imagine if we had Alex Jones on here? That'd be, uh, I would, I don't, I, know, would man. That would, I don't know. If, if we invited it, him here, it, it would still be just us on his show. Cause he's just too much of a personality. Yeah. Like bro, why, why are you like that? Why are, what's going on with why, you? Why, why is your platform nothing more than to sell your shitty products and it's not about, <laughs> about anything? Doesn't he have like male enhancement pills that he sells or something? He, he, ha- he has penis pills. He has like the, he has like creatine and all these like things that are like, <laughs> like, oh, it's, he has, he has his own like granola bar. Getting creatine from Alex Jones is like getting, like going to the salon and like someone's bald that's cutting your hair. Like Brian, show him your shirt. Oh. 
Hold on. It says we just got these printed. It says you are worth the fight. I love with that, a little guys. fist with like a little bouquet of roses in it. Um, I love. This that. is the same designer that did all of our our stuff that's on yeah, like Instagram and on our website. So that's great. Yeah. So we'll shoot that over to you. Um, we'll send you some stuff. Yeah, and whoever, maybe like you know, handful of stickers, and you know, yeah. anybody else in the band, even or you know, your brothers, whoever who might want to rock it. All right, gentlemen. All right, man. Great talking. Yeah, to you guys. We'll get, we don't want to keep you any longer. Get to the bathroom. Appreciate you. Well, gee willikers, that sure was swell, guys. What a great episode. Yeah. I know I feel changed and exuberant. Yeah, I'm. I'm really so grateful to insert guest name here for everything that they said on insert date here. They, they, they were all that they claimed to be and more. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Worth the Fight. Uh, if you want to find out more about us or you want to say hi, here's where you can do it. Instagram and Facebook, you can find us at We Are Worth the Fight. We Are Worth the Fight. That's on Instagram and on Facebook. If you want to hit us up on Twitter, that's Worth the Fight PC, as in podcast, Worth the Fight PC. You can find us there on Twitter. The website, which is where you can find everything else, is going to be... WorthTheFight.blog, guys. WorthTheFight.blog. So please make sure, check us out, holler at us, and catch you on the next one. We love you.